What happens when a veterinary staff member wants to bring in their mom's dog or a friend's dog or a family member's pet? What do you do and how do you give those discounts? This week, we want to talk about all of the potential pitfalls around extending those employee discounts and privileges to other folks' pets. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, we want to talk about a topic that we've hinted at before, but we want to get into the specifics of how does your clinic handle those situations when it's after hours or during the day when a friend or a family member's pets needs our assistance. Do you give them a discount? Do you give them priority? It's a lot to discuss this week. This week, we're going to talk about all of that and a whole lot more. But before we start this week's talk, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, this is a dilemma that most of us in practice have faced at some time or other. And if you haven't, you will. And it goes like this. Let's say that your family member's pet is sick and you decide to bring it in. You're working that day after all. And you want to make sure that it gets kind of that priority slot. Or perhaps you want to apply a discount to services. Or perhaps you want an after hours consult with a veterinarian. I mean, Becky, this spins in a lot of different directions. And can cause some problems within the team. Oh, I well, absolutely it can. And that's <laughs> one of those things where it's like, I don't know, I guess sometimes I get thinking about these things that like aren't a problem and then maybe I make a problem when there isn't one. But as a, as a technician in practice, as a veterinary technician in practice, I've always kind of expected like if I bring a pet in, that's my mom's or I say it's mine, it's on my account. Right. Uh, I have expectations. I, 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 and I guess I kind of don't expect anybody to be like, hey, that's your sister's dog. You can't put it on your account. You can't get the right. discount. But like, right. that's kind of entitled, right? Why do I think I should be able to do that? Because I did it. I do it. <laughs> right, right. And, and I guess, you know, viewfinders, at, at the start of this, this conversation, I want to say, if you aren't covering this in your employee manual, like if you aren't being specific and detailed about like, how do you extend whatever benefits you might offer for pet, pet pets and under your employee accounts, uh, you probably should do that today. <laughs> you know, because Becky, I think that a lot of times these things go sideways just because of lack of direct communication. People don't know what the rules are. Like that's it. We leave it up to interpretation because we don't want to make a rule. I think that's the biggest problem. Yeah, like as an right. office Good manager, point. you're kind of like self-police, don't take advantage. Um yeah, it is her mom, and she's only got one dog at her house, and we've got employees who have 12 dogs, so where does it really right. matter? Like, right, and we've, like, this is what we have talked around, is, like, how many dogs is too many? How much discount is too many? But then I guess now I'm like, how big does that bubble go? Right, and again, if you're sitting there, you know, thinking, oh, this only applies to, like, monetary discounts, I'm going to say it extends to, as I mentioned before, priority, like, hey, you need to see it now, even though we're all booked, or can you slot it in in between appointments or whatever? Or, Becky, I think a lot of times where we overstep potential bounds is when you want to call your doctors or your veterinary technicians on their day off, right? It's the weekend, and you're like, hey, my mom's dog is sick. Should I be worried about this, right? That's right, and and and... Yeah, I guess that's kind of the next part of it, right? Is again, that bubble of privilege. As a veterinary technician, when I have an assistant or a kennel staff or customer service or anybody who works within the clinic who 
trust my opinion, doesn't want to bother the doctor. Maybe the doctor's unavailable. Maybe they're out of town. They give me a ring. I guess I don't really think twice about it. It doesn't really bother me. But then like, yeah, what is it? What if it is when it's like, well, it's my mom's dog. And I guess I think about it as like, if they're worried enough to call me, that pet means enough to them in their life to be concerned. Um, I guess I don't mind. But again, this was also at a time when I had very poor boundaries. Like, and as, you know, uh, being a much more emotionally intelligent and developed technician now and somebody who does have better boundaries, I guess I'm just questioning my own decision-making there. Yeah, and and fairness, right? I mean, is it fair to expect and maybe potentially demand, right? So you're going, hey, it's my mom's dog. Help me out here, right? And right. is that fair? So, so again, viewfinders, I mean, this is... This is going to be one of those conversations where we we don't have your answer, but we can give you some advice on how we've solved it. So, Becky, these are situations that started cropping up early in my practice ownership life, okay? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be just straight up with you. I mean, this is one of those things I encountered during the first couple of years because suddenly now my receptionist would be like, hey, my neighbor's dog, and they would bring it in. And then suddenly when it was time to bill it out, because remember, there's no neighbor there. It's just my employee brought in the neighbor's dog. They were applying a discount. And I realized, wow, this could spin out of control really quickly. And so, Becky, from very early days, we did put in our manual saying this only applies to your immediate pets, right? Uh, and, and so we were explicit about that. And, and I don't know, Becky, if you've encountered that before, but I love the fact that you brought up, hey, a lot of times we just don't want to set these rules because it seems kind of cold and harsh. But once you just set it, it's kind of like, okay, we get it and, and we move forward. And, if, and honestly, viewfinders, if your staff completely disagreed with that approach, then you should talk about it and you should maybe reach some kind of concession. Becky, am I making some sense there? But that's that's how we dealt with it in the early days. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And and again, I think a lot of times we just talk about like, this might not even be a problem for you, but that's why we talk about it now before it is because when you're in the middle of it and then you're trying to make sort of an emotional decision or it just looks a little unfair, really kind of hashing out these policies. Like, so I, I'm not trying to say like we're finding trouble where there isn't any, but we, we kind of are. So if it's not something that you've dealt with in your clinic just yet, and, and that's the thing is like you, you get these, these ripples. Is it the immediate family? Is it my mom's dog, but she lives with us? Or is it the foster dog? Or is it, you know, the stray that I'm willing to adopt that somebody's surrendering? Like, we keep talking about these different scenarios because, frankly, the inch that we give eventually ends up being a mile. Right. And, 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 like, I get that. And the idea that prioritization, whether it be discounts, schedule prioritization, time prioritization, in these people who are within the circle. And I think really clearly establishing those boundaries in the beginning is really important. And then really sticking to it is is also essential. And I think that personally, I'm with you. If it doesn't like live in the immediate household and it, it, it doesn't apply for the discount yeah. and it doesn't apply for that kind of quote unquote special treatment, um, now, if you are like, hey, my neighbor's dog got hit by a car and I'm sitting here in the road with it and X, Y, and Z, um, help me. I'm We're on the way to the ER, but what can I do in the meantime? Or I don't know, whatever. There's yeah, extenuating yeah, circumstances yeah. that count. But like, you know, when it's like she's got this funny skin thing going on, right, and, you know, right, it's like, right. but then I think it's hard because we look at our neighbors and we look at our loved ones and we worry about these pets and we worry if we don't provide this discount, if we don't provide this care. They're not going to get the care 
their immediate concern is cost, not with everyone, but with so many people. And then we kind of take on that burden of emotional context of, oh, well, let me see what I can do to see if we can help you out to make this happen. Yeah. And and I like where you just went with that, Becky, because there were two things I want to repeat, viewfinders, because they're really important and and they're easy to miss. The first thing is the financial discounting, right? I think that probably most of you listening today can agree that, hey, maybe we can extend these discounts, you know, out to your neighbor, right? Or or even to your brother-in-law, right? I mean, so I think most of us get that when it comes to money. But where we sometimes step over the line, in my opinion, is when it comes to the guilt that we create, potentially, whenever we call them up for that late night advice, or can you help me out on this? Or, you know, because again, now you're a vet tech, you're a vet, and you're getting this phone call from a staff member who says, my neighbor's dog, you know, is vomiting, what should I do? Uh, Becky, I I have personally, me personally, I've I've experienced so much guilt because I'm yeah. like, hey, I don't know, it's not my my not my client, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's tell them to call, the, tell them to call their vet, you know. That's the perfect word, right? Is the guilt? So we are right. emotionally attached to these animals. We don't want any animal suffering. We don't know what's going to happen. We and then and we don't know a lot of things, the history, the context. Right. A lot of times, we don't even have access to the client to ask a lot of questions. You've got this kind of third party. And I've done it. I mean, I've sent you pictures and been like, hey, no context. What do you think about this? Um, (laughs) You know, and sometimes it's just a veterinary conversation. Hey, I'm not asking you to do anything about it. So I think that's another important part is setting the expectations. What would you like me to do about this? Are you asking for my advice? Are you asking for my empathy? Are you asking for an appointment? Are you asking for a discount? Like, I think... In these situations, when we are leaning into, because let's be fair and flip the narrative, we all are this person. Hey, I'm sorry to bug you, but my mom's dog's doing this weird thing and I need this. Or can you call in this? You know, metronidazole. I know know this is where we're going anyway, but can you take care of the thing for me? Um, Is being clear in what you're asking when you're asking these types of things. And, And since we all do it as well as receive it, Just kind of take that double check and say, am I being clear about what I'm asking? Because sometimes we send them, like, we assume what they're asking. Like, well, like, I can't come meet you at the clinic this afternoon. What do you want? Oh, I didn't want you to come meet me at the clinic. I just wanted to know what your thought, have you ever seen this? Yeah, and I'll tell you, Becky, too, one thing I was able to do somewhat satisfactorily early in my career was to distance myself from those feelings, right? Because let, let's face it, you find, you probably can relate to what I'm about to tell you. So somebody calls you, a staff member, again, we'll stick with this scenario, Becky, and they call you up and say, hey, my mom's dog has diarrhea and I'm worried about it, right? So, so there's something, you know, that's going on. And suddenly, here we go. Um, we, we say, okay, I feel guilty for, you know, for not being able to answer the question or not being able to go to the clinic right now or not be able to prescribe the medication right now, right? So you have to abandon that, guys, because sometimes, like Becky said, they're calling you just to get some advice. They really don't expect you to come into the clinic or prescribe that medication or solve their problem even. And I think that as I was able to mature in my professional attitude toward that, suddenly let it go, Becky, that let the that guilt go. And that is easier said than done, viewfinders. But the reality was once I was able to just say, hey, I'm going to take this. This person is calling me just for my advice. 
and nothing else, then it became a lot easier for me to deal with it. Hopefully that made some sense to everybody. Yeah, it makes sense. You you, you have to kind of clear your own preconceived notions, right? right and your right. own implicit bias because it is your own trauma. It is your own guilt. It right, is your own feelings right. toward these activities because you've either done them or because you're fatigued because they continually happen to you. Right. And I mean... Your staff doesn't have to have your cell phone. Like, that doesn't have to be universally available. There can be a chain of command. There can be a chain of communication. Um, obviously, that sounds crazy because we no, all have each other. I, I, I know, but that's a good point. Right? Um, and, you know, our phones have do not disturb options. We do have the right to not answer and to let the message come through so we can evaluate the ask and we can get a better understanding before we jump in with that emotional reaction. So I think we're equally as responsible for our reaction to these calls, to these asks. Um, but I think the important part from a owner or business manager or practice manager or leader standpoint is, unfortunately, that you do have to respond to them as universally equal as you can. And that's the hard part because you might catch me on a day where I'm dying to talk vet med. You might have a parasite problem and I'm fully in. But then if you're going to call me and want to talk about diabetes, like, sorry, wrong number, uh, new phone, who this? (laughs) Can't help you. So uh, some of that depends too. But I think that, that we get into this kind of favoritism thing. And again, I see this because you know, Sally's got 40 pets at home and they're all on her account. And and then, you know, Tyler's got one dog, but his mom and his sister and his dad all have dogs under his account or 47 fosters that come in and out. And so there's all these scenarios that kind of contribute to having to have some idea of what your boundaries look like ahead of time because they can't be based on who it is, when it is, or what it is. Yeah, and and Becky, I'd like to also offer substitution of the word boundaries there into extending it into culture. Because see, I've, I've encountered this a lot as a consultant over the years where there's this, the worst kept secret is that Susie has all of her sister's pets on her account. You know, so, yeah. so everybody in the clinic knows about it and everybody just turns a blind eye to it. And and that means the culture there accepts that. The culture embraces, acknowledge, and allows that. And and honestly, that's taking revenue from the the clinic. I mean, I'm just gonna be blunt about it, right? So I mean that so and again, if you are good with that in your clinic, that's fine. So I'm not here to judge, but I'm saying that if your clinic is now struggling to give you raises and and appropriate benefits, well, these are those little nicks in the revenue and the profitability that kind of take away that power to give you a raise. So, you know, just just be aware. I think Becky, sometimes we forget the culture, right? Because Everybody else is allowing this to happen. So again, setting rules, and sometimes these rules do seem harsh. You know, I, I, and again, back in the day, you know, even when we were starting to put, you know, codes of appearance in, in our manuals, and I was writing about this, people were like, oh my gosh, you know, you can't do that. I was like, uh, well, we're trying to avoid problems, you know, and, and, and we were able to avoid problems. And that doesn't mean that they were fixed in stone and didn't ever change, but it meant that uh, based on that instant time, then we were definitely, you know, this is how we want to comport or carry ourselves professionally. So, yeah, Becky, I think culture is a really big part of this conversation. And again, if your culture is fine with that, then that's good. But let's talk now as this extends out into corporate medicine, right? So now suddenly you're not kind of making the rules. And, and I'll tell you, Becky, I'm encountering this more and more frequently for people from people that work in corporate practices because they feel so removed like from 
ownership and management and profitability and how it impacts their, you know, benefits and and salaries, you know, so they kind of feel like, oh, I'm just going to slide this one in. Have you seen that as well? I think we're a lot more likely to feel, quote unquote, feel comfortable taking from, taking advantage of, or, or taking advantage of the discounts yeah, yeah, of yeah. the big box of the the, right. the person we don't see of the big name. I think you're absolutely right. So, you know, when you know it's Dr. Smith and that he's got this going on or that going on or whatever in his life, it's one thing. Or, you know, he's got a huge house and four cars and a boat and nine vacations. It's kind of another thing. And you're <laughs> making decisions. But like, you're like, oh, it's this corporate name. They can afford it. Like, I think that's like the yeah, the yeah. easy write-off is, oh, they can afford it. Here, take that. We can afford it. We write stuff like this off all the time. Like, so I think you're, it becomes easier and easier the more far removed the actual bottom line profitability tank is. Like, I think about it, enterprise, I think is such a great example, right? I, met, I rent a million cars a year and enterprises is shared profit with their employees. They're an employee-owned business. And because of that, they fall all over themselves because it really does affect their bottom line, their purse. When we don't see that, when people see just tons of money coming in and out and they don't see any kind of um, personal effect of that and, and any yeah. kind of personal repercussion. In fact, in this case where we often feel taken advantage of, like, who cares? I work a ton of overtime. Nobody cares that I do that. Nobody cares right. what I give. Who cares if I give away a little triple antibiotic or if yep. I just yep. fill this chlorhexidine solution and send it home with them for free because they need it? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying I haven't done that, like, at all. I'm just saying that I think it's easier, but it doesn't make it right. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, culture, right? This is where this sort of, if you're in a corporate practice and your local culture supports this stuff, then, you know, it's going to happen. Well, and I think we're more likely to end up in a situation where our local cor- culture isn't represented by the corporate culture. And so, yeah, right, you know, right. you, you may be in a clinic where um, this has been acceptable ongoing and this is how it's been. And it's part of why you love your job and keep your job because you're able to take care of your pets or your mom's dog who has, you know, stage 10 heart failure, you know, kind of thing, <laughs> blind, deaf, three-legged. And like, you're like, oh, this is this is why I need my job. This is why I work my job. When that suddenly goes away, right? The, um, what do you want to say? The value that, the non-monetary value of that is, is, is measurable. And so I think sometimes we see corporate practices take over or, ch- or rules change, and then we see a culture shift behind it. And now it feels extra, unpersonable it feels extra out of touch and it's it's likely to decrease the i think that um what's the word i'm looking for in terms of just sort of that um loyalty to the clinic yeah yeah well I, I, absolutely everything you just said go back and rewind your finders because there's a lot to unpack with that Becky let me let me spin it slightly back now because again we've we've really you know I, I think the biggest emphasis and the and the easy target is the financial end of it but what about that just advice you know with that calling up and and you know feeling out say hey my neighbor's dog across the street is just itching like crazy you know and it's a Sunday afternoon like how do you establish some of the boundaries between that? Because that was an area that we did struggle with because, you know, it was easy to put in an employee manual about the finances. You can't put them on the counts. Discounts don't extend. But it was another thing to say, oh, and don't call us on the weekend about your neighbor's dog or your mother-in-law's dog. How did you handle that? I I think that's, to me, um, 
I think, a really, really tough one. I think we kind of create the opportunity. So I guess what I want to say in an organized way is a lot of that is on us. So if you text me on a Sunday afternoon, it's up to me to decide if I'm going to look at that text, if I'm going to answer that text, and how I'm going to respond to that. Okay. If you ask me about your mom's itching dog, I might text you back and say, is this a new problem? Is it, is it acute? And it, are there hives or something, you know? And when right. you tell me no, I'm going to say, let's let's chat about it when I see you on Monday. Mm-hmm. Take like some that. pictures. Let's, And I'm going to direct you back to, let's talk about it in clinic. If you say, yes, it's acute and there's hives everywhere, then I'm going to say, ooh, sounds like a medical problem. Go to the vet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like, right. Or so, so I have the responsibility to because it's easy to not easy, but it's pretty easy to train people quickly with that. And um, I have found, hey, let's talk about that during business hours tomorrow. I found like I've got people in my life who are retired or who are working on their own or consulting. So eight, nine o'clock at night or a Saturday, they're working. And that makes sense. I've been that person, too, but I don't want to be. And so in order to create my own boundaries, it's like, hey, let me get back to you on Monday when I'm at my desk. I'll I'll be able to pay better attention to that or respond to that or whatever it is. So I think a lot of that is going to be self-directed. And then we have to be able to have those courageous conversations and the com- the uncomfortable conversations if that continues. Like, hey, if it's not an emergency, guys, I like to enjoy my Sunday too. Now, the flip side of that is you don't get to be the clinic who is then texting that veterinary technician on their day off with questions about patients, right. with questions about inventory, or, hey, can you come in because so-and-so is off? So it, it is important on both sides, but it's really important to take a, a, a like a high level and then a micro view at that I- exactly how that's happening. Because it personally, if you're calling me on my day off and asking me about patients and inventory and where something is, I might not think twice about calling you on a Sunday to ask about my neighbor's dog because we haven't established the need for those boundaries. Yeah. And again, this gets back to my point about trying to make peace with these conversations, realize that maybe Becky isn't asking me to come and see her mother-in-law's dog or whatever, or prescribe something, you know, and it's okay to to give some space and say, let's talk about it on Monday. I mean, that's, that's perfectly acceptable, in my opinion, at least. And you're not being rude. You're not being unprofessional. You're not being uncaring, you know, uh, or irresponsible. I mean, you're just saying, hey, I can't deal with that right now. And so you can choose to engage or not. Um, and I think it's fine. Becky, w- one other thing too, before we finish this up today, I think probably a lot of people that are listening are saying, eh, you know, this probably isn't as big of a problem in our clinic as, as maybe it might be in others. I, I would say you probably ought to ask around because, you know, like, like just thinking about this advice type of thing, it can be simmering under the surface and causing a lot of dissension amongst your team and nobody's really talking about it. So, so Becky, I mean, what advice do you have for that team member that's listening today? And they're saying, I'm not sure if this is a problem at our clinic or not. What advice would you give for them to find out if it is? And then what steps should they take if it is? I think it would be good to just move through life with the philosophy of like, it's not a problem yet. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I agree. It's going to be a problem like because that's what the that's what life is about and that's why we know about these situations is because somebody did it and yeah. so we've had to, to face it or we've just had these thoughtful conversations because of things we see happening around us so honestly if it's not a problem at your clinic great it doesn't mean there shouldn't be some kind of policy and now is the time like this is the best time to write a problem a policy around it because there is no problem 
just like any other relationship, addressing issues when no one is in an emotional state is the best time to have that conversation and that deep dig, right? So, hey, not a problem. But Ernie and Becky had this conversation this week, and I kind of thought to myself, huh, we don't have this problem, but what if we did? What do we think is fair? Do we have an unspoken policy that you guys just follow the rules that I don't know about? Have that dig into it while everybody's lighthearted and nobody cares. It When it becomes a problem and then you're trying to fix it, that's when someone's feelings are going to get hurt. That's when it feels personal. That's when it's going to affect your culture. It's going to cause a problem once it becomes a problem if you don't already have a solution. Right. And, and you know, I, I, one of my pet peeves, I hate that expression, me personally, I dislike strongly. Uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because a lot of times things are almost to break. And literally that that philosophy says, I'm going to wait until a disaster strikes before I actually intervene. And, and that just is a terrible way to approach life, in my opinion. So I mean, like, yeah, what if you went about your engine conditioning that way? Like, right, like, right. I, you know what, it, when it comes to my car, if it ain't broke, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, <laughs> right. we do maintenance. That oil change the tires I mean, right. if, they, if, if the tire right. blows out then it's i'll change round. it i can drive on it <laughs> that's the problem right is if you're driving around on a bare tread you are vulnerable and so um some of this no problem everybody coexists really great like it will only take one person or one situation to completely disrupt that and then it's extra problematic because everyone was going around in this really state of comfort and so i think that it is it, 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 we we shouldn't be waiting for things to break if we know that there's never been any kind of maintenance or care taken of it. Yeah, I, I'll share with you guys a quick story. Uh, it was over 20 years ago. It was when I was, you know, kind of still early in my speaking career. And I remember talking about some staff problems at one of my lectures, right? And so at the end of it, a vet comes up to me and kind of has this like smirk on his face. And he goes, you know, that's that's some of the worst advice I've ever heard. And you're kind of like, okay, gee, thanks. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> and he, you know, so of course he's going to tell me why it's such bad advice. He goes, you know, you're talking about having all these staff training meetings and all this stuff. He goes, you guys are just, you're actually creating the problem by talking about these problems. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I think that's, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Becky. I think that's how a lot of people manage their businesses, right? And so they believe that if we talk about a problem before it blows up on them, before the tire blows out on them, then they somehow will create or accelerate the tire blowing out or the disaster coming. And and that's just not true at all. It's, it certainly hasn't been my experience. I'd love to hear what the viewfinders have to say about that. But, you know, there's tremendous value in, what do you say, Becky, getting ahead of issues before they become a problem. And that this is one of those areas where it's probably worth a conversation with your team. Well, I guess to me, the thing, so first of all, I'm kind of like, yeah, how's your marriage going, bro? Mm, Um, But on top of that, (laughs) I'm like, the problem is, is when your tire blows out, you take people down with you. And I think that's my, my big metaphorical warning here. You know, when your tire goes down, if you don't hit somebody else on the road and you don't hurt somebody else, at the very least, somebody has to come bail you out, right? Somebody else has to do something. Somebody, you you then have to go limp your way and buy a brand new tire and deal with it right then and there. So yeah. they have to stop everything and deal with your problem right then and there. So in, in, in you know, in this very um, far-stretched metaphor that we're using of the tire that I'm really, <laughs> really leaning into is when when your metaphorical tire blows, it's so much more dangerous. It's so yeah. much more problematic. It's so much more expensive. It's so much more work as opposed to 
just doing the maintenance and looking for problems because we know where they pop up. We know running out of oil is a problem. We know running on slick tires is a problem. We know where problems can pop up. And so we do go looking for them. And the thing about it is, is that that veterinarian who gave you that feedback, which first of all, I'm like, (laughs) I I appreciate that you took that time out of your life to come and tell me that that was terrible advice that you sat all the way through like that. I'm that's on you, buddy. But two, (laughs) those they're the outliers anymore. And the goal is to make sure that that kind of thinking is the outlier. And so if you have that thinking in your practice, that's like, I don't know why we're doing this. There's not a problem. That's your red flag employee. That's your red flag thinking. And it might be you. You might be the practice manager, the owner, the doctor. Like, but if you're thinking like that, that's your, that's like a red flag to yourself that you have a really good chance of getting blindsided by a problem. Yeah. And and Becky, I'm going to just extend the metaphor one last time to that tire. So here's the other part is uh, recently a true story. Uh, My daughter was home. She was about to go off to law school. And so, you know, I was kind of like doing the quick review of her car to make sure everything was okay. Right. And so I'm looking around the car and everything looks fine. Right. And and I check the tires and tire pressures and, you know, check the oil and all this stuff. That was fine. And so anyway, long story short, um, my wife winds, we have a very close relationship with uh, the person that takes care of our car for, you know, 30 years, right? So it's great, great Jim's car care, do fantastic job. And uh, so anyway, she was, Laura was dropping her car off for a maintenance and Madison was in her car and she just said, hey, Jim, would you mind just, could somebody just take a quick look? Ernie looked at her car, but she's leaving tomorrow or the next day and, you know, check it out real quick. And they did like 30 seconds, Laura said, and they went straight for this one tire in the back. And they're like, this tire, you know, you're going to have to replace it sooner than later. And while I focus like on the main tread in the middle, he was looking on the inside of the sidewall and there was like an area. And and Laura actually, when they drove back home to show me, it was like patently apparent. Oh gosh, I didn't know what I was looking for. Yeah. The, The metaphor I'm trying to say is if you don't have these conversations, you don't even know what the tire really looks like. And you're probably looking at the wrong side of the tire too. So Again, Becky, I just wanted to try to close that out. Oh my God, I love that you were able to take that that much further. Um, Yeah, and we replaced all the tires, honestly. So, you know, we're like, our daughter's about to drive, you know, 1,200 miles away and she's going to, you know, she doesn't have time to deal with that, right? I mean, she's in law school. So, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, that's it is the maintenance is so much easier than the fix. And that is the bottom line, like walk away of this conversation, right? Is the maintenance of your team, the maintenance of your practice, looking for problems and then listening to this podcast and being open-minded and saying, Awesome. Now I know where to look on the tire because I didn't I didn't even know where to look for this problem. Um, that's the point. That's the point of networking. That's the point of continuing education. That's the point of reading the journals, going to the conferences, listening to all the amazing podcasts that are out there right now in the veterinary space talking about stuff like this. So um, by all means, if you're hearing this, you know, you're doing the maintenance work. We really hope. That's right. If you find us, what do you think about this? Is this an issue in veterinary medicine or even in your practice? If so, how have you solved this problem? Please share your solutions with us so we can share them with other folks. And Becky, how can they do all this sharing? You guys can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder and send us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. And again, stay safe and stay ahead. And as Becky always says, Get ahead of these problems, guys. <laughs> Until next tires. week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> wow, we rode the, those tires all the way into the sunset. That was, that was awesome. I mean, we did, but it was a good one. 
it was. 